please open up to Romans chapter 6, verse 12, where we pick back up where we left off last week. Romans 6, verse 12. We started last week in chapter 6, a new section, section 3 of the book of Romans. We've already seen the first section on condemnation. We finished the second section on justification. And now we're starting the third section on sanctification. So justification, just as if you've never sinned before, or being made righteous or been justified by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then we started this new section last week of sanctification, also a work of Jesus Christ on the cross where we're sanctified or being made holy. And there are tangible fruits that come from a life that has been justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, and there's not by any works of the flesh. There's no there's nothing you can do. There's nowhere you can go. There's, no, there's not a high enough place you can go and a mountaintop experience you can have that's going to justify or make you right in the eyes of God except for believing in the word of God, the gospel, that Jesus paid it all and paid it all for free as a grace of God for you and I. All we have to do is believe in that finished work on the cross for our sins. And then we are able to, as we will see today, Walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ. And that is our topic or our subject today. Walk in the freedom. And how important it is for you and I to know that we are free to walk with him. Because he has justified us. He has sanctified us. Now he's in the process of transformation or transforming us into the likeness or image of Jesus Christ. And he does the work by the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's that fruit that will be born from a life that's been born again. Paul highlights that, of course, in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. We last week saw what to know. Paul wanted to make sure we knew three things, and we see those in the scriptures in verses 3, 9, and again on verse... Uh, 10. So we, um, so you can go back and look at that verses 1 through 11. And as we pick back up here in verse 12, we will see that there was things that Paul wanted to make sure we know. And then we saw in verse 11 of chapter 6 that then we have to not only know this, but then we have to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin that we see in verse 11. And to reckon or to recognize or to understand and hold on to that the work that Jesus has done in your life, that we can reckon that our sin that was dominating our life is absolutely dead now. It is not alive in your life. I know that's hard to believe at times because of how we feel and how sometimes we fall short on our days and we fall into sin and we make decisions of sin. But we, if we're born again, we have been justified by Christ. We have been sanctified by Christ. And now he's in the process of transforming our lives. And we have to be patient as we continue to seek after him daily. He is going to do that work in our lives. Because what he starts in your life, he is faithful to finish that work. Regardless of how you feel. 
But as we take a look in this, yes, last week we see what Paul wanted to make sure is what we to to know. Today in verses 12 through 23, because we'll finish up chapter 6, Paul is going to discuss what to do. We now know what to know, now what to do. And we're to do what? Walk in the freedom provided to you and me by the finished work of Jesus Christ and the Christ. And so Paul clearly will be stating how it's important to know, it's important to reckon or recognize that the sin that's in your life is dead, it no longer has value, it's a, it should not dominate in your life, and we're going to see that. But now Paul doesn't leave us hanging there, he actually shows us what we now need to do to have a life, a life that is abundant. How do you live this Christian life? It's one thing knowing it. So many people know the scripture, Satan knows the scripture, but the question is, is will you apply it in your life, in my life? That is what's important for us to understand. And Paul, God uses Paul to bring clarity and bring to light for us how to live or walk in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ today. And this transformational information that is so informing to us the fact that we are free from the power of sin and the penalty of sin now what do we do even in uh, paul speaks in romans 12 verse 1 he says i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to god which is your reasonable service so once he saved you once you're born again once you've been freed from the sin the power of sin the penalty of sin how are we to live this Christian life? What do we do next? So many times that's the natural question. They, someone comes and they, they know the Lord is touching their heart through the teaching of the word. They're sitting there and they go, oh, I want to give my life to Christ. I've never done that. And I want to raise my hand. I want to come forward. I, 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 I want to, I, I know I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I've asked God to come in my life, but then what do I do? What do I do? Or after you leave this Sunday and everything seems so great here, oh, so much joy, the 100-pound gorilla's off my back of sin, then you go back home. And you go back to work, and these things in the flesh starts rearing up. And so how do you live? Well, we see this today, that we are to yield ourselves practically to God as a living sacrifice. To have that Christian growth, that spiritual maturity to take place in your life, we have to have this understanding of how to personally apply what God's word says to our lives. So here in Romans 6, back to Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. So from right in the very beginning... We see Paul makes it very clear to us. Do not allow. Therefore, you know what I've been just telling you, that you're free from your sin, the penalty of sin. You need to recognize that sin is dead. It's not alive. It's dead in you. There's no longer holds on to you. So therefore, do not let sin reign, dominate, control, power over you in your life any longer now that should bring great joy to your ears because paul would have never said to you and i god would not be speaking to our hearts right now today that if we did not have the ability to make a decision not to let sin reign then he wouldn't have said it but he said it 
God has done the work. He's freed you and given you power to overcome that flesh, that the, the world and the devil that tried to dominate and control and reign in your life for all these years. But because you've given your life to Christ, you've now been set free. And you're able to freely walk in that freedom with Christ. And so he says right up here, therefore do not let sin reign in this body. There's something that can be said to only to Christians. You cannot say that to a non-believer, to a non-Christian. You can't say, oh, you have power to overcome that sin. You can just let that sin go. You can stop that drug use. You can stop that drunkenness. You can stop the pornography. You can stop the, 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 the lust of the flesh. You can just, just make a decision. You're strong enough. Pull up your bootstraps. Make the decision, man. Man up. That's not, that's not true. That's not biblical truth. The only way you can overcome and to be free from the sin is to be born again. There is no other way. Sure, there's lots of programs. There's 12 steps, 25 steps, you name it. You can have 100 steps. It will not free you from the penalty of the sin of drunkenness or drugs or any other addiction or the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. None of that is a promise to you. So Paul is not speaking to non-believers here. He's speaking to you and I as believers in Jesus Christ that you have the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in the freedom. It's only one step program here. And that's called a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you have the power of the universe available to you if you just rely on and not a program, not some church, but a relationship in the one who can give you the power to, and who will do the changing in your life. That's why he says, therefore, do not sin, let sin reign in your body. There's decisions you must make. That is your part. That is my part. That person, that, that the only person can be set free from sin can be only be told, do not sin, let sin reign. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lust which war against your, the soul. Galatians 5.17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Romans 13.14 but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Do you see the fact that you and I have a decisions that we have to make each day? But he gives you the power to do that decision making. No, I will not do those things anymore. I will not say those things anymore. I will not look at those things anymore. I won't go to places where I know I should not go. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see what the Holy Spirit, that relationship will do in empowering you to do is to be able to overcome the lust of the flesh. But there has to be a decision. A believer, you and I must make that com final complete surrender of the body to Jesus Christ. Because the Christian is the only 
and one and only true set free person. The person who isn't converted yet or changed internally, the heart's not changed, is, 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 is completely free to sin. They have no problem sinning. Did you notice that? Before you came to Christ, you had no problem sinning. It was very easy. It was very natural to the old man to sin. It was habitual. It was like breathing. It's no big deal. But then when you gave your life to Christ, because you realized that sin was, was destroying you, and you heard the word of God touch your heart, you freely said, I, I'm a sinner. I need to be free. I need to be saved. After that, then the flesh and the, and, and the world and the devil try to get you back into those old sins, and they're no longer enjoyable. They're no longer they were no longer, and now you're convicted. You're not, you're, things are uneasy, and you're, you're struggling with this stuff. It's because God doesn't want you to do those things anymore. He's convicting you of those sins. You're not free to just sin now. You're a child of God. You don't do those things. That's not what a child of God does anymore. In Jesus, we are truly free and are offered the opportunity to obey the natural inclination of the new man. And what is that natural inclination of the new man? The natural inclination is to please God and honor him in everything we say and do. That is what our new nature does. All day long, Lord, does this please you? What am I about to say? Does that please you? Does that honor you? Nope, then no touching. Lord, should I just go here and do this? Nope, I'm not going. Oh, how it looked really enticing. Oh, it looked so good. It seemed so natural for everyone else. But not as a child of God. That is not where we go. It's not what we do. It's not what we say. It's not how we respond. That's why he says, therefore, do not let sin reign. The old man is dead. Let the new man rise up and live abundantly. You're free from sin in Jesus Christ. But the problem is that many Christians never experience this walk in the freedom. Why is that? You've given your life to Christ. You've surrendered. You know without a doubt you've given your, your life to Christ. But why does it seem like you still cannot walk in freedom? That the, the old flesh still seems to dominate you. because of unbelief, self-reliance, ignorance. Self-dominated. And when that self continues to rise up like you're smart enough and you're strong enough and you're wise enough and you're all-knowing and all-knowledge and you've got these skills and abilities that you have a tendency to rely upon yourselves and not of the spirit of God and that's when the flesh will rise back up that's when the world will come in and that's when the devil has a foothold into your life because you're full of yourself and the more you think about yourself the more miserable you will become but you have not trusted as a, as a Christian, as a new person in Christ, trusted in the work of God and practically allow him to help you. 
because we, no, we, we do not need to follow our flesh to control us any longer. We have the free will. We have been given a free will by God. We are free moral agents. We are not robots as much as you and I would love at times. Lord, will you just make me a robot, just control me, control every thought, every place, so I don't do the things I want, don't want to do anymore. But that's not love. God's love showed by giving us the ability to choose him in his way or not. It's called free will. He's allowed us the ability to choose to allow sin to reign in our life. And he also has given us the choice to say no and to not allow sin to reign our lives. It's a decisions and it's decision points throughout every day in our life. Joshua 24, 15 says, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. It's a choice. We make wrong choices because of our free will. That happens. We make those wrong choices because we rely upon the wrong resource to be able to do those. You're sitting there and you're living your life. You're waking up and the very first thing you know, you're faced with a de decision. There's temptation that has been thrown in front of you. Some thought came up you know is not right about the work you're going to, whatever it may be with, with your spouse. But the question is, will you choose at that moment to bring that thought under captivity and say, I'm just going to have to get over it. I'm just going to have to figure this out. I'm just going to, I, 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 all this, this stuff then you, what you're doing is you're relying upon your own resource and it's only a matter of time you will fall to that temptation, to that sin again. It will rain in your life at that moment. Or you will choose to say, God, I am weak. I can do nothing apart from you. And I know if I do not do what you, you're going to empower me to do, God, give me wisdom in this situation. How do I love my wife? How do I respect my husband? How do I train up my children, whatever it is that's going to cause some challenges, do you rely upon the resource of the Holy Spirit to do the work and help you? Or do you rely upon your own resource? And it's only a matter of time you will find yourself that sin will reign in your life again. Romans 1.5 says, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So God gives by his grace and apostleship for obedience. All we need to do is obey what God reveals to you at the moment upon moment that you find yourself tempted. Or when that sin raises its ugly head. Will you be obedient and say no? Will you? Why? Because God has given you free choice at that moment. So, but when we, when we do obey God, we receive God's grace and the power to do just that. Praise the Lord. I don't know about you. Can you imagine living this life like you and I had for so many years before coming to Christ, doing it in your own power and own strength and how exhausting that is? How you strive to obtain and you're constantly striving and butting heads with everyone around you to get what you want and where you want to go and do what you want to do? At what point do you stop relying upon your own strength and relying upon the Holy Spirit to do the work? 
We even see it in Titus 2, 11 and 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age. Oh, isn't it great that we can, we can walk in the freedom that Jesus gives us? That we can walk in a godly way? We can walk not in our flesh. We can walk soberly and rightly and godly in this present age. Oh, how many times we see, oh, Lord, take us to heaven. Get, take us out of here, Lord, so I don't have to deal with this sinful nature anymore. But he says you have the power now to be able to live in this present age godly and rightly and soberly. Verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And your members are instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. So we see in verses 13 and 14, we see the fact that it says, do not present, do not yield, do not, do not provide a way for your members, your body, your flesh, do not allow your body, your flesh to have a way as instruments. In the original language, it can be referred to as weapons. Do not use your body as weapons to do unrighteous, ungodly things. But present yourselves to God. But present yourselves to God. How do you do that practically? How do you live that out day by day as a Christian practically? Well, you must make the decisions. You must remember, know that you are officially set free. You're no longer in bondage. Think about this. Think of someone who's in prison. Think someone's in prison. They have officially been set free. They're gone, they're, they're out of prison, they're no longer in that prison. But if a person still lives in prison for years, and so many years, that's who they are, it's ingrained to them, that's their culture, that's how they think, that, that's a prison life. But then they've been set free, but when they get out, they continue to live and think like they're still in prison. That's what it means to live in the old life. And even though you've been set free and have a life abundantly to walk in freedom with Christ, you still live like you're a drunk. You're still living like you're, you're in the old flesh and the, the lust and the lying and the cheating and the stealing and all these things you used to be like. But you've been freed from that. You've been forgiven. But why is it that we still think that way? If you've been truly forgiven, you've truly been set free, why do you continue to dwell on the past, the old, your old nature? And that's why people live a Christian life so heavy and so no joy and there's no peace in their life because they're still dwelling on the past. Did you know that your past does not dictate your future if you don't allow it? Because Christ is not allowing it. Only you are picking up the old clothes. He's gotten rid of them. He's given you new clothes, clothes of righteousness, a robe of righteousness that he wants you to put on. 
Oh, but you don't know my, 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 my family. You don't know my, oh, my, my culture, my, my nationality, and all these justifications. You don't know my dad. You don't know my mom. You don't, that means nothing. As you press forward in Christ, you're a new creation. You're a child of God. He has a bright future for you now and in a future in, within heaven with him. That is what we meditate on. What is right and good and praiseworthy and noteworthy. Those are the things we meditate. And not have our, to be pulled down back into this, this miry bucket of clay. That, or miry clay of things that, of our past. That's not how God wants us to live. We are to present our members, our body, as not instruments of unrighteousness, but to live and be and use our body for instruments of righteousness to God. Because sin shall not have dominion over you any longer. Those ears, those lips, those eyes, those hands, that mind is not any longer going to be used for ungodliness, but used for godliness. For, for godliness. Not ungodliness, it to honor and to please God. And that, this, that we see why it's so important why the, the Lord wants our body to be under this, this, this of uh, doing things of righteousness and not unrighteousness because it is a very important that we understand that the believer's body is God's temple and he wants to use it for his glory. 1 Corinthians 6. 19 and 20 in Philippians 1, 20 and 21. And that when we have our bodies subjected or to, to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, then that it becomes instruments for righteousness. It becomes weapons to combat evilness that's around us. Because if you do not allow that body to be controlled by God, the parts of your body will become instruments or weapons that can do great destruction versus great good. I mean, think of an example. Would be the best example is King David. If you know King David and you know the story of King David, just look at his life and how God used his hands at one time to slay Goliath for righteousness. He used his hands for righteousness to bring down the enemy of Goliath. And then later on in his life, you see how sin came in and took over his life at that moment of time. His, his eyes, and he used, uh, that sin used David's eyes for unrighteousness when he looked upon his neighbor and his mind plotted to a wicked scheme to get rid of a person and his hand signed at his cowardly order for the woman's husband to be killed. So his eyes were turned to unrighteousness and he lusted after another man's wife. He then plotted in his own mind how he was going to get rid of that woman's husband. And then he uses his hand just to give a clear indication, now go and have that man killed. You want to see how it played out in his life? Go to Psalm 51 and you'll see that psalm that David wrote clearly indicating how unrighteousness or ungodliness was used by his, the, by his body. You can see it plainly as clearly as can be. You can see that his eyes were used for unrighteousness, verse 3, his mind in verse 6, ears, verse 8, heart, verse 
10 and his lips and mouth, verses 14 and 15. No wonder in verse 2 he says he prayed for a thorough cleansing of his body. Because he knew his body was doing things that were causing, obviously, destruction and downright murder. But he says, present yourselves to God. That's the second key to walking in freedom. Not only restrain yourself, right, keep away from it, but now you must do something. You must present yourselves to God. If you find yourself practically, you find yourself about to look at something you should not be looking, you're about to gossip and you know you shouldn't be gossiping, you're listening to things you should not be listening. You're watching on things on TV you should not be watching. You're being tempted to go to places you know you're not supposed to go. How do you stop yourselves from doing that? By presenting yourselves to God. God, I know what I'm about to think about looking at. God, help me to take my eyes away from that. And when you shine your light on God, you put your mind and set your mind on God, you see how quickly the temptation or that strength, that dominion that the enemy or flesh is trying to get subsides and gives you the power to overcome and say, no, I'm not going to look at it. It's not going to affect me. No, I'm going to say no to them. Even though they've asked me to go, I'm going to say no. Think about it. If your appetite, your body appetite controls you and you can't say no to food, to that appetite, it becomes controlling of you. You become hangry at times. Now, that was not directed at any one person, let me tell you. But do you see how quickly that flesh can rear up to want to take control and change your mindset, your mood, your emotions? So the question is, how do you overcome hangry? Just, oh, that's just me. I'm a guy. That's how it works. I just give me food, woman. No, 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 no. The answer is, maybe you need to seek the Lord and ask him to give you the ability to fast and pray to bring the body under subjection. Tame that body by the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer and fasting. That is what you, it means by Paul says, present yourselves to God. This but caffeine. Oh, I'm speaking to myself here. How many times I just say, well, I wonder how much caffeine control do I have? I won't drink coffee for a day. Watch that headache come. Watch the body. What do you mean you're having coffee anymore? Lord, I'm not having coffee until I get that purged out of me. I want nothing to control me. Now I'm speaking to myself. The one who finds it very relaxing to drink coffee. Again, it's not a sin, is it? Drinking coffee is not the sin. It is that you don't want anything to have control, your body have control over you. That's the point. Because it's little things that lead to much bigger things that the flesh can have or try to have control over you. For sin shall not have dominion over you any longer. Oh, Test it, my friends. Test it. Test this. Well, this verse, sin shall not have dominion. Test it. Does anger have dominion over you? 
Yes or no? Is murmuring and complaining in your life, does that have dominion over you right now? Does covetous have dominion over you? Does your pride have dominion over you? Does gossip have dominion over you? Are you eavesdropping have dominion over you? Do you have a critical spirit in you? Has that have dominion over you? And if it does, if it's habitual and you have no desire to get rid of it, question your, your salvation. But my brothers and sisters, if you find that that is your old life and it just seems to creep back up and you want to fight it and you're continuing to fight it, then present yourself to God each time those opportunities come up that you go, oh, what's going on here? I'm interested. No, God, help me. I'm not interested in that anymore. You have to present yourself to God. You must take that step and let the power of God come in and to free you and allow you to walk with him away from that sin because it's a promise of victory that he has given us he would not have told you you have dom- you can have dominion over it get over it and take rid of it if he's not willing to give you the power to do it you just have and it should be encouraging to you it should be encouraging to me that the fact that we have hope and strength in the battle against sin how many times I have listened to my own self when I first got saved, my uh, first six months to a year, how, tr- oh, such a battle between the old, the old man and the new man. And I thought, oh, this would never go away. Will this ever not have messed with me in my life? But I want to tell you, if you continue to seek after God, he'll give you the power and he'll train you up and you will respond in that new nature, a new way, and it will not control you. That sin will not control you in the future. Be patient as he transforms your life. You've been justified. You've been sanctified when you gave your life to Christ, period. Now allow him to do the transformation and you'll find that that sin will not dominate you. Why? For you are not under law, but under grace. Grace. See, the law highlights to you and I how much we desperately need God. How desperate, how wicked we are in our lives. That's what the law does. It shows that we are to be perfect in this way, and we know we can't be perfect under the law. And that drives us to Jesus, and we ask him, who's perfect, to do. He says, I've done the work for you. Just come to me. I have paid the penalty of your sin. Just give your life over to me. I will do the work. Because it cannot, the law cannot give you freedom from sin. Only the grace can give you freedom. Remember, grace reigns through righteousness, Romans 5.21. And grace, not law, provides the freedom and the power to live over sin. Romans 7, 12. Therefore, the law is holy, yes. The commandment holy and just and good. Yes, the law is good. You don't fight against the law. But the law has given us so that we can show us how perfect we need to stand in front of God. And it was not given to make us perfect, but the law was to drive us to to God. We see in Galatians 3.24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Again, this shows how important our life is truly based upon the grace of God and not of the law. In verse 15, 
There's a question asked then. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. So this question that Paul is anticipating, which we read uh, and studied earlier, that same question. Oh, so if I've been forgiven, I've been justified, I have the ability just to go out and sin because I've been justified, I've been free, I've been forgiven, so I can just freely go and sin? Absolutely not, Paul says. That's, that's wrong thinking. If you think that because you've given your life to Christ and you've been justified, you've been sanctified, you have been made holy, that you can just freely, habitually go out and sin, that is not grace. You don't have an understanding. That is, you should question your salvation. But here he's asking the next question. Well, if it's not habitual sin, can I occasionally sin and get away with it? Do I, can I sin and just use it for, for, some, for good purposes? Because I really don't want my boss to know, or I don't want my mom and dad to know. I don't want my spouse to know. I can sin then. Then it'll be okay, right, God? No, Paul's saying here, certainly not. That sin is, or irist, um, uh, or act, the active tense here in this word sin is, is, is to dabble in sin or to not, it's not habitual like the previous sins we were talking about, but just dabbling or occasional sin. Is that okay? No, Paul says. It, you can't even occasional. Do not let any sin, little white lies or big black lies, it doesn't matter. Because you're opening yourselves up to the things of the flesh or the world or the devil to have control. And they, once they get a foothold, oh, how quickly you can find yourself spinning, spiraling downward into the sin again that you just, God has forgiven you from. Because grace is never a license to sin. Grace gives us the power over sin. Again, grace, God's grace is freedom from sin. It is not a license to sin. He's given you and he's freed you from the bondage of sin. Receive it, be glad in it, and walk in the freedom of it. Do not go back and live in it. In verse 16, do, not, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So we see right up here, he gives an illustration for you and I. Whoever you subject or submit to, you're a slave to. Now this would have been really radical for those who were reading this at this time in Rome because the majority of people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Once Rome conquered someplace, they took those people and brought them in as slaves to to take and do the things that Rome wanted them to do. So now Paul clearly understands this and he uses this illustration to make a very clear point for them to understand because they're living a slaved life. He says, whoever you subject yourself to, whoever you are obeying, you're a slave to that. And now you have a choice as a child of God. Do you want to subject yourself? Do you want to uh, obey your appetite to sin? Then you're a you're then a slave to your flesh. You're a sa slave to sin. Or you can be obedient, subjective to God, and be 
a slave to righteousness. What choice? What decision do you want to make? It's your choice. One way or another, who will you serve? You have the option to live your life without serving either sin or obedience isn't open to you and I. I mean, we don't have an option to say, I don't want to do either. I don't want to accept Christ and I don't want to live for the flesh or the devil. I don't like either. Well, there is no in between. By saying and ignoring or not acknowledging or accepting Jesus Christ, you've made your choice to continue living in the sinful life you were born with. Remember? Condemnation. You were born a sinner. Until you that path changes, that road changes, you'll continue to walk in sin. The, the, the habitual sin or um, this, the slave to sin. That's why in Matthew 6.24 it says, No one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You have a choice. Who shall you serve today? Do you, yes, I, I, you've accepted, you wanted Jesus as your Savior, but are you willing to have him as your master? That's what Paul is getting across to you and I. Oh, I want to be saved from hell. But God, just save me from hell, but let me live my life however I want to? That's not how it works. Is he your, ma is he your master and your, your Lord and master, or he's not? That's a clear indication if you are going to be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Verse 17. But God be thanked that through you, but though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. So Paul puts it here right through, though you were slaves of sin, he puts it in a past tense because we have been freed from our slavery to sin. He also says that we have been set free by faith, which is, because, is, is, is described as obedience from the heart here. Because we put our faith in God's word, the gospel of Christ. And when we put our faith in his truth, that is when he's transformed us. We're no longer in sin. We have been set free from that sin because of that form of doctrine that we've heard. And so the point very, is very clear that Paul presents here. You put your faith in God and his word. Now you are set free free. Now choose to live every day consistent with that freedom. Freedom, Choose to walk in the freedom that Jesus has given you to do by his grace. The obedience from the heart. What a great way of saying or a description of faith. Are you obedient from the heart? They pondered on that this week. Obedi immediate obedience. Pleases God. Not partial obedience. Not delayed obedience. I mean, eventually obedience is a good thing. 
but immediate obedience pleases and honors God. Kids, when you are immediate obedient to your parent, do you know that pleases your parents? When there's immediate obedience to a boss, do you know that it pleases the Lord? And so when we walk with the Lord, God be thanked that we're no longer slaves to sin, that our obedience from the heart, that faith that God has given to us to just to watch and to listen and just follow his word will deliver you and I and we will be able to walk in the freedom of righteousness. In verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. When you were born again, you're now slaves to righteousness. Our will now is swallowed up in the will of God. It is his will that matters to us now, not our own. It's his bucket list, not our bucket list. It's his way, not according to our way. It's his timing, not our timing. We are bound to Jesus with bonds that are only death can break. But since he has triumphed over our, the death and given us eternal life, these bonds will never be broken between us and him. We're in the palm of his hand and nothing can touch your life unless it's been father filtered first. And we now willingly serve Jesus and we disregard our own interests. We die of self so that the Lord can dominate in our lives and through our lives. That's what Paul is saying. We are slaves to righteousness because we have been set free from sin. We never have to sin again. Though sin is inevitable. Yes, don't get me wrong. It's inevitable and it will does happen when our flesh has control at our weak points. The sinful perfection of the body is an, an illusion until, as even Apostle John said in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Yet we know that the power of Jesus Christ, we can resist the next temptation and that's what Jesus calls us to do. If you are living in the life of righteousness, as we go from temptation or temptation, we just rely upon God and rely upon God. And because we start training up this new nature, as God trains us up, less and less, the, also the sinful nature of the past just fades away. Did you know that? As you continue to be obedient to what God has called you to do, to live rightly, the sinful nature just fades away. It no longer controls you. It's not who you are. If you're not chained to you, it's, it just floats away. Keep in mind, don't get me wrong. When you first come to Christ, 
Oh, sometimes some of that sins that you had literally go away. You don't say those things anymore. You don't go those places anymore. You're not doing those things. Just completely healed. They're just gone. But then there's others that are slowly worked out of you. As the heat gets turned up, that, that dross continues to bubble to the top to be skimmed off and getting rid of so you become pure and pure. But he's doing the work. But at times, yes, this frailty of man can infrequently in intervals yield to the evil nature and sin once again. But the conviction's there. You're quick to catch it. You're quick to realize. And you're back to God. Oh, God, how did I, how could I have gone back to that? Forgive me, Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. And then the next time you look at it again, go, ah, I know what triggered that. I was hungry, I was tired, I was stressed. All the things are there to indicate my bound, my, 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 my borders were down and the enemy or my flesh raised up. Oh, I can't allow that to happen again. Verse 19. So how do I keep from enslaving ourselves again? Right there in verse 19, I speak in human terms, Paul says, because of the weaknesses of your flesh. For just as you present your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. In verse 24, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You can see the habitual. See, if you're in lawlessness, if there's no boundaries, there's no guidance, there's no law outlining or God's guidance, and you're just going from lawlessness to lawlessness, it can breed more lawlessness. That's why it's a very danger to society and danger to a family, a danger to any or your life individually. If you're just going from lawlessness to lawlessness, you think it's going to stop? No, that, ne- that old man nature can just continues to go right into more lawlessness. But if you're practicing, if you're walking in, in, in the freedom of Christ, you're, you're bringing the things you know of God that doesn't please him, put those aside. Don't meditate on them. Don't think about those. And just turning to God and present your life to God, all of a sudden, those what's going to be dominating. You'll go from righteousness to righteousness to holiness to holiness. Grace upon grace upon grace. But you must present your members. Just give them over. Imagine practically. Can you imagine? You got a new job. First day on the job, you go into the job and you're sitting down and you just love it. Oh, I love my new cubicle. Oh, I love my guy, the people around me. You get to meet the boss. You're sitting down. You get all the guidance and all the things. Oh, I love my boss. This is great. I'm so thankful for the new job. Oh, thank you for providing and meeting our needs. And lunchtime comes. You get a break now. A whole hour for lunch. You walk out of the job. You go down. You get some food. But then when you get done and it's about the hour's almost done, what do you do? You go back to the old job and you walk into the old boss's office and say, hey, what do you want me to do? Does that make sense? Would you do that in your right mind? Would you go back to the old job, to the old bull boss and say, you're in control. What do you want me to do today, boss, the rest of the day? No, you would not. 
You would go back to the new job. You would go back to the new boss and you would say, Lord, boss, what do you have for me today, the rest of the day? It's the same thing. You've walked away from the old man. Do not go back to the old man. You are slave to sin. Do not go back to the sin. Move forward. Press forward. Press onward, Paul says. Do not go back to the old life. Because it's like a dog returning to its vomit. You just would not do it in your right mind. Verse 21. So what fruit did you have then in the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So Paul reminds them, can you go back and just reflect on your old life, the life of sin, when you were a slave to sin? What fruit was coming from your life? Can you remember the destruction in your life? Can you remember the havoc in your life? Can you remember the depression, the hopelessness, the, the, the wandering aimlessly? Do you remember these things? What fruit really was coming from your life from that life of sin? It led to death. Sin, savory, savory, or the slavery to sin leads is a byproduct, or the byproduct is death. It did not produce any fun. Yes, a moment of pleasure, but it turned quickly to shame and guilt and all the other things. But the end product of righteousness, slavery to righteousness, is right here is eternal, everlasting, eternal life. It's eternal life. Matthew 7, 17 says, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A tree will produce fruit. You just watch the fruit. You will know. Not what they say, but by their actions, by what they do or not do how they respond tells you over time what kind of fruit. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. But when you're abiding in Christ, eventually it will produce good fruit. Where do we see that fruit? Well, we see that in Galatians. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. For, but the fruit of the spirit is love. Fruit, one fruit, love. But you see eight adjectives describing that love, don't you? Peace, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, these are no law. A perfect picture of love. That's what will come from you and I's life if we're slavery to righteousness. Those things will not bear in your life if you're a slave to sin. And then we see Paul concluding this section right here on sanctification here of, of walking in the freedom. It says, verse 22, But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see the outcome? 
you see what will happen if you choose as a free moral agent to choose to live for Christ, to walk in the freedom of him, that there is going to be fruit. It's a matter of time. Allow it to bear fruit. Be patient. God is long-suffering. Be long-suffering with the fact that God is, wants to see that fruit bear because when fruit bears, people are able to partake of what God is doing through your life. Paul makes it clear. As a believer, we have a change of ownership. God is in ownership of you. He purchased you with his own life, his own blood, his own body. And as we go to the communion table, that is what we remember today. We remember that God, Jesus himself, purchased us. He shed his blood for you and I. His body is what was nailed to the cross, not yours. And because as a Christian, and as we have believed, obedience from our heart, we have faith and belief in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He sets us free and he allows us to live in righteousness with him. We no longer have habitual sin. We now have even the power to overcome the occasional sin. Because we want nothing to do with sin any longer. We have come to grow to hate our sin. And want nothing to do with it. And we have the ability by trusting in the resource of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to do the empowerment to overcome that. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you know and do you believe without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus loves you?